The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. Have you ever been kicked out of a place? Have you ever been somewhere and you were asked to leave? It happened to me years ago. I was uh, at Sky Dome. It was called Sky Dome. It was the year Sky Dome opened where the Blue Jays were playing. And it was their first season. And so every game was sold out. And I had a friend of mine say, hey, Darren. His name was Arnie. He said, Darren, you want to go see the Blue Jays? And I said, Arnie, I don't have tickets. He says, don't worry about it. Leave it with me. Let's go. And so we drive. We lived about an hour from Toronto. And we drive downtown and we go to Sky Dome and it's jammed outside. And I said, what are you going to do? He said, watch this. And so he finds a guy selling tickets on the street and he buys two tickets good tickets we're talking behind the Jays dugout about 12 15 rows behind the dugout on the third base side and so we're excited we go into Sky Dome we walk down the steps and every step you take down towards the field you're feeling superior to the people behind you because I'm closer to the field than you are. And you're getting more and more superior. We're getting about row 12, somewhere in there, and we're just about three seats from the aisle, and we look, and lo and behold, there's somebody sitting in our seats. And we said, excuse me, you're in our seats. And the guy said, no, you tried to steal my seat. The guy said, you got those tickets from somebody off on the street, didn't you? And I, at that point, stepped back, and Arnie said, Yeah, we did. And the guy said, come with me. And he took us and led us to a police officer in the lobby where he said, these guys bought these tickets. My tickets were stolen in the mail. Please, officer, deal with these two guys. And he dealt with us. Have you ever been kicked out of a place? Can you imagine this dynamic taking happen in, happen in heaven? I mean, one minute I thought I was good to go, the next minute I was being asked to go. One minute I thought I was in, the next minute I was being kicked out. Can you imagine that happening in heaven? One minute you think you're good to go, the next minute you're being told to leave. How shocking would that be? Well, according to Jesus, it's not an unthinkable scenario. After warning people about the reality of false prophets, Jesus went on to warn people about the reality of false followers. What's a false follower? False followers are people who stand before him thinking they've got it made, but they're in for the shock of their lives. Listen to how Jesus described it in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, listen, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He went on to say, here's what's going to happen. I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. One minute they thought they were in, the next minute they discovered they were out. Could that ever happen to you? Are you truly a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you truly know him? Does he truly know you? How can you tell? I mean, how can a person know? Over the next few moments, we're going to look for the answer to this question. And we're going to discover that the answer is found in one powerful word. 
It's the one word that lies at the heart of everything we do here at Broadway Church. It's the one word that serves as our anchor, our guiding star, our our foundational principle here. It's the one word that answers the question why for everything we do at Broadway Church. You know the word if you attend Broadway. The word is louder, agape. What's agape? We've learned here at Broadway that the challenge in English is we only have one word for the concept of love. I love my wife, Jan. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. I love my Mini Cooper. I love the Toronto Maple Leafs. I love the Vancouver Canucks. (laughs) And so does Christopher, apparently. I love M&Ms. I mean, there's all sorts of things that I love. So do I have a moral dilemma because I love several things and several people? No. Because we understand that one word in English, love, is elastic. It has to cover a whole bunch of concepts. But the ancient Greeks solved this problem. They had four words for the concept of love. There's phylos, or brotherly love, which is why Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. There's the Greek word storge, which was the ancient Greek word for patriotic love. There's the word eros, where we get our word erotic. It's the word for romantic or sexual love. But then there was the fourth word, the highest level of love possible. It's the word agape. It's the word for the highest form of love, unconditional affection. As we call it here at Broadway Church, it's the word for the purest love imaginable. Now, why is this word so foundational for Broadway Church? And how does this one word answer the question, how can I know if I'm truly a follower of Jesus? Let me show you. And let's begin at the beginning. Let's begin with God himself. Now, let me say this. If you're here and you regularly attend Broadway Church, the next five minutes, you're going to be tempted to glaze over because you're going to say, Darren, I know this. We know this. This is review. Yes, it is. But stick with me because this is foundational and we're going to build something strong and connect something strong to this. See, God is the greatest conceivable being. If you can conceive of a being greater than God, then that being is God. God is the greatest conceivable being. Well, what makes God so great? Well, as your outline says, God's powerful. God is able to do whatever he desires to do. God is able to do everything that can possibly logically be done. God is the greatest conceivable being because God's all-powerful. But God's also all-knowing. God knows every fact, every possibility, every potentiality, every true proposition. God is the greatest conceivable being because God is all-knowing. But God is also everywhere present. God is aware and able to act at every point in the universe. There is nowhere that God's power and knowledge cannot reach. God is the greatest conceivable being because God is everywhere present. And God is also holy. God is pure and perfect in every thought and in every deed. He is holy. There is no evil within him whatsoever. God is the greatest conceivable being because God is holy and God is just. God is true and correct in all that he decrees, all that he judges, all that he decides. God is the greatest conceivable being because God is just. 
God's all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present, holy, and just. God is the greatest conceivable being, and this greatest conceivable being created the universe. And his crowning creation was you and me, humanity, human beings. Because we, unlike any other creature on earth, were created in God's image. Well, what does that mean to be created in his image? Well, it doesn't mean physically because God doesn't have a physical body. God is spirit. That's why God said, don't ever make any idols of me. I don't have a body is what he was implying. So what does it mean then to be created in God's image? A being made in God's image is a being that doesn't merely operate on instinct like animals, but is rational. It's a being that understands the difference between right, wrong, good, and evil. It's a being that has a free will. It's a being that can think and discern and decide, a being that can make moral choices. And how did we as human beings made in his image, how did we use our God-given ability to think, discern, and decide? We decided to rebel. We said, God, yeah, you're the greatest conceivable being, sure. But I don't want you. I don't need you. Leave me alone. You made me, you own me. Well, deal with this, buddy. I'm turning my back on you. I'm going my own way. It's what the Bible calls sin. Literally, the word sin means to miss the mark. That's why the Bible says, you know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were designed to hit a bullseye with our lives, but we've fallen short. We've missed the mark. We've rebelled against God. We committed cosmic treason. And as your outline says, our separation, or our sin against God, I should say, led to our separation from God. Our sin against God led to our separation from God. God is holy, so he cannot allow sin into his presence. He cannot have relationship, put it better. He can't have relationship with sin. And we are covered and coated with sin. That's our nature now. That's what happened when we sinned. We dove into the pool of sin, and we're covered in it. It's become part of us. Have you ever broken a window? It can be a shattering experience. Yeah, it's a dad joke. I did it as a kid once. Have you ever broken a window and you tried to fix it? As a kid, I did this. I shattered a window. I didn't want my parents to find out, so I did what every little kid would do. I I put the shards and I tried to tape it together, thinking, nobody will notice if I just scotch tape it together. As you can imagine, it didn't work, it doesn't work. So I did what anyone anyone would do, I closed the curtains. I discovered at a young age that there are some things in life that you just can't fix on your own. I couldn't fix it, so I tried to hide it. Our separation from God is very similar. As humans, we are separated from God, and there's nothing we could do. It'd become our very nature to rebel against God. We're separated from him for all eternity, and we couldn't get back to where we were before. We're stuck, forever separated from him in our sin. And all of this brings us back to that one word, agape, the ancient Greek word for the purest love imaginable. Now, a moment ago, we learned that God's the greatest conceivable being. We learned that God's nature is what makes God great. But there's another aspect to God's nature that we failed to mention. 
God's not only all-powerful and all-knowing and everywhere present and holy and just, but as your outline says, God is also love. And the word for love that God used in Scripture to describe himself is agape. The Apostle John put it this way in his letter. Whoever does not agape love does not know God. Why? Because God is agape love. God is, by nature, agape. God is the purest love imaginable. Agape is who God is, and agape is what God does. Which brings us to the most famous verse in the Bible. See, we're stuck in our sin. There's nothing we can do to get ourselves back into the presence of God. So God took the initiative. The agape God took the initiative. Jesus put it this way. He said, God, speaking of the Father, so agape loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his one and only Son, speaking of himself, that whoever believes in him, in the Son, will not perish, will not be eternally separated from God, but will have eternal life. They won't have eternal death, they'll have eternal life. God so agape loved you that he made a way for you to once again be saved from your sin. Well, how does all that work? Come to our Doctrine of Salvation class this fall and you'll understand all the background of that. Suffice it to say for now, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection made a way back for us to once again be in relationship with God. By the way, have you accepted this gift? It's not something you earn. It's not hoops you jump through. It's a gift you receive. God so loved that he gave that whoever believes. If you've not yet accepted this gift, before you leave this auditorium today, you're going to be given an opportunity to accept this gift. So start to prepare yourself for that right now. As your outline says, when it comes to the agape love of God, you, can have, you have basically two choices. You can receive it or you can reject it. Those are your choices. And you've made one of those choices as you sit here right now. You can either receive it or you can reject it. I, I want to talk about receiving it because at Broadway, we're all about receiving the agape love of God. Okay, so what does receiving the agape love of God look like? It means confessing. John wrote this, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, confessing sin is more than just acknowledging it. Yeah, I sin. No, it's more than that. Confessing sin is acknowledging it and turning away from it. That's what it means to confess biblically. I acknowledge it and I turn away from it. That's what it means. But you do more than that. It's not just sin that we confess, we also receive God's agape love another way. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, sin isn't the only thing we confess. You confess your sin, but you also confess your belief. Now, confessing sin means acknowledging it and turning away from it. Confessing your belief means acknowledging that Jesus is Lord and turning towards him. Confessing sin is acknowledging your sin, turning away from it. Confessing, Jesus is, uh, confessing your belief is confessing Jesus as the Lord, the leader of your life, and turning towards him. So what does receiving the agape love of God look like? It means you confess your sin and you confess your belief. And this brings us finally to the question of the day. Well, how do I know if I've done that? 
How do I know if I've received the agape love of God? You'll know. There will be no question whatsoever. Why? As your outline says, you will know if you receive the agape love of God because agape works. That's why. It's that simple. You'll know if you've received the agape love of God because agape works. Well, what does that mean? What do we mean when we say agape works? How do you know if you swallowed bleach? Let me just throw that out there. How do you know? You'll know. There will be no question. Why? Because bleach works. If you swallow bleach, you won't be saying, now was that water or was that bleach? You'll know because bleach works. It'll start to burn your throat, burn your esophagus, burn your insides. It's lethal. It's deadly. Trust me on this. I haven't done it myself, but trust me. Don't try this at home. You'll know. Don't swallow bleach because bleach works. It's incredibly powerful. How do you know if you've poured acid on your hand? You'll know. There'll be no question. Why? Because acid works. It eats away. It will eat through your skin. It'll eat through your flesh. It'll eat through your muscle. It'll probably eat through your bone, I'm sure. It will destroy. That's what acid does. It disintegrates. You'll know because acid works. How do I know if I've received the agape love of God? You know there will be no question. Why? Because you tell me. Why? Because louder. Agape works. How does agape work? Agape works in two ways. Agape works in the sense that it transforms you at your very core. The Bible puts it this way. Paul said to the church in Rome, he said, God's agape love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, This agape God, God who is agape, he actually dwells within every Christ follower by his spirit. So his spirit and your spirit live in relationship. And his spirit is agape love. So you have agape love dwelling in relationship with your spirit. His spirit has been poured out into your life. So what do we have by having the agape God living within us? Well, Paul said in his letter to the church in Corinth, and we all, speaking of Christ followers, we all are being transformed into his image, that's God's image, with ever-increasing glory, meaning with ever-increasing intensity, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul says, listen, when you have the spirit of the agape God living within you, the agape presence of God is working within you, transforming you, changing you from the inside out. Oh, it's not instant, but there's a gradual transformation. Your desires begin to change. Your thoughts begin to change. Your actions begin to change. Your reactions begin to change. Your thoughts begin to change. Your relationships begin to change. It's gradual. It's eventual, but there's a transformation that starts to take place because agape works. It starts to transform you at the very core. Now, does God do this just agape transformation work on his own without us even knowing it's happening? No. God does it, that's for sure, but he does it with our cooperation. 
Paul put it this way in his letter to Romans. He said, those who live according to the flesh, now we'll explain what that means in a second. Those who live in according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. Now, flesh, he's not talking about your muscles and all that. He's No, flesh is a metaphor. It's a poetic device, a way of saying that sinful power, that sinful nature within you. If you have your mind set on your sinful desires, and you still have them as a Christ follower. I still have them as a Christ follower. But I am no longer obligated to live according to them because I now have the Spirit living within me, a greater power. But Paul's saying, listen, you still have that sinful nature. And if you live with your mind focused on your desires of your sinful nature, you'll live according to that. But if you focus your mind on what the spirit dwelling within you desires, you'll live according to that. The mind governed by the flesh, the sinful nature is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. If you focus on the indwelling spirit of God, that transformation escalates. How do I know if I've received the agape love of God? You'll know. There'll be no question. Why? Because agape works. That's why. How does agape work? Well, first of all, agape works in the sense that it transforms you at your very core. But agape works in another way. Agape also works in the sense that it motivates you to action. It motivates you to action. Paul put it this way in a letter to the church in Corinth. He said, for Christ's agape love compels us. If you have your Bible, underline or circle that word compels. Or on your outline, circle that word. Christ's love compels us. This was written in ancient Greek originally. And the word there for compels literally means to be afflicted with or to be seized by compels to be afflicted with or to be seized by. It's like, you know, you've got hives. I'm afflicted with hives. These things have just latched onto my body. That's the word for compels. I am seized by. I've been gripped by the agape love of God. It motivates you to action. You'll know when you have the agape love of God dwelling within you because you are compelled by the agape love of God. He says, we're convinced that one died for all, therefore all died sort of a poetic way. He's saying, we're convinced that Jesus died for all of us, and he died in my place, so we all died in him. He, he symbolically died for all of us. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You see, this compels is a very aggressive word. Agape works in the sense that it motivates you to action. Agape will not lie dormant. Agape refuses to remain idle. Agape stirs you to activity. Agape stirs you to activity that benefits others. Agape unleashes energy within you. Agape cannot remain on the sidelines, but it gets in the game and it serves those around you. Agape doesn't watch, agape works. This is what James, the half-brother of Jesus, was trying to say in an often misunderstood passage in his letter. James put it this way. He said, speaking to Christ followers, he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but they have no deeds? He says, what good is it if you say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus? How can I tell you? You don't ever do anything that a Christ follower does. Oh, I've got faith, though. 
James says, really? Is that legit? He says, can such a faith save them? Save them. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, but you have no deeds to back it up, now you're not saved by your deeds, but you have no deeds as evidence of your saving faith, do you really have saving faith? Can such a faith save them? He says, let me give you a scenario. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. You meet someone and they're just bare, they're naked or they're just barely covered, they're cold and they're hungry. And one of you, Christ followers, says to them, hey, I see that you're naked and hungry. Well, you go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, and you keep walking by. You do nothing. Nothing about their physical needs. James says, so what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Words without supporting action, meaningless. Faith without supporting deeds, dead. James is saying, if you want to know whether or not you have received the agape love of God, if you want to know whether or not your faith is living and real, here's a sign. Real faith compels you to action. Living faith is not comfortable doing nothing. James doesn't even know me. How can he make such a claim about me? Because James knew what we've learned today. James knew that agape works. James knew that agape transforms you at your core. James knew that agape motivates you to action. And that brings us to today's big idea. If you're new to Broadway, every week we do our best to summarize the teaching in one simple statement, one big idea. Here's today's big idea. Agape works in you and agape works through you. Agape works in you and agape works through you. Agape transforms you at your core. Agape motivates you to action. It works in you, and it works through you. So let me conclude. Is your faith a living faith? Is your faith a saving faith? Hear this question. This is crucial now. You may be an attender of Broadway Church, But are you truly a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you truly know him? Does he truly know you? Does your faith pass the test? You say, what what, what test? There's a test? The Apostle Paul claimed there was a test. He said this in 2 Corinthians 13. Examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Have you truly received the agape love of God? Have you truly confessed your sin and confessed your belief? How can I know? According to the Apostle Paul, you can examine yourself. You can know because agape works. Agape works in you and agape works through you. So test yourself today. Examine yourself right now. Are you being transformed? I'm not asking if you're perfect. Hear me now. We're not talking about sinless perfection. We're talking about gradual transformation. What I'm asking is, are you more like Jesus today than you were a year ago or two years ago? Is your life gradually moving closer to the image of Jesus, or are you starting to look and sound and act like the world around you? Examine yourself. You can know because agape works. Agape works in you. Agape works through you. 
Have you truly received the agape love of God? Have you truly confessed your sin, confessed your belief? Examine yourself. You can know because agape works. It works in you and through you. Test yourself. Examine yourself. Let me ask, are you living beyond yourself? Are you active in God's kingdom? Are you serving others with the time, talents, and treasures that God has placed in your life? Are you a spiritual consumer or are you a spiritual contributor, as one man put it? Examine yourself. Agape motivates you to action. Now, perhaps you're here, and the Spirit of God is stirring within you. Oh, you're definitely a follower of Jesus. But if you're honest, you have to admit that your faith has fallen asleep. It's time to wake up. It's time to step up. It's time to get off the sidelines and into the game. Now, you know that you need to do this. You just don't know where to begin. Well, you're in the right place. That's what the Broadway Ministry Expo is all about. Right now, there's all sorts of people down in our gym and lower auditorium. Why not wander around? As soon as this service is done, don't rush away. Head downstairs. There's free food. Everybody say free food. There's free food. You can wander around through there. Wander through the booths. I didn't say booths. I said booths. There are free booths, not free booze, free booths. And you can wander through, and as the Spirit of God leads you and guides you, maybe you'll, you'll see some, some ministries that you could be a part of. Now, there's things outside of Broadway Church where you can serve many outstanding ministries, but you're here today. And so why not wander through that lower auditorium in the gym and see if God speaks to you, see if there's a ministry that you could step into, get off the sidelines and into the game, a place where you could volunteer with your time, talents, and treasures. Well, finally... Perhaps you're here, and this question is not a mystery to you at all. You know where you presently stand with God. You already know that up until this moment in your life, you have rejected the agape love of God. Why not change that right now? You were created to experience and express the purest love imaginable. You were created to have the agape love of God work in you and through you. In this last moment, why not step into the life that God designed you to experience? As we close, I'm going to give you an opportunity to confess your sin and to receive the life-giving love of God. Confess your sin, confess your belief. Let's pray together. Let's bow our heads, please, as we conclude this service.